Let's get started. Yes, let's get started. Today is Davchov test number 29. We'll do a review of yesterday's Dav, Davchov Ches. We're learning Lilinishmas from Abbas Shmuel Shimon and also for Daniel Bernard Baruch Ben Yudaleib Baimi. And with that, for Shalem to all who need it, and let's get started on the review. What did we learn yesterday? So we started off yesterday at the two dots, about eight lines down, um, talking about when an animal gets a blemish within the year, so you're allowed to keep that animal around. You don't have to slaughter it right away or you know, give it to the coin to slaughter right away. Um, uh, you have up until the end of the year, um, for basically all 12 months. After the year, you have uh, 30 days, we said. So the question is, how are we to understand this? Does that mean that within the year, you have the entire year plus an additional 30 days into the next year, and then if it happens in the second year, you have 30 days. Or, within the year, you only have a maximum of the year. And if it happens after the year, then you have a maximum of 30 days. So that was our suffolk, and we did bring an interesting proof. We said before nowadays, before you were able to uh, show it to a chacham, you're allowed to keep it even as many as two or three years. Um, what are you to do? It doesn't have a blemish. Once it's able to be shown to a chacham, it has a blemish. If it's in the year, so then you are allowed to keep it the entire 12 months. After the year, you're not allowed to keep it even one day or even one hour. But because of Hashem Saveda, until you find the coin that's suitable to receive the, the gift of the Bukhorah, so you can, um, you have, we let you have an additional um, 30 days. But that still doesn't quite give the full answer. Is that 30 days after the year or the 30 days during the year. So that's where we brought a full, cl- a full proof, which is that if, uh, if you have a blemish 15 days before the end of the year, then you have those 15 days plus an additional 15 days into the second year, meaning you will always get at least 30 days from when the mum happens, but otherwise you won't extend into the second year if it's more than 30 days before the end of the year you would only have up until the end of the year. And uh, that's the bottom line. Um, this, proof, this is a support to Rebbe Lazar, who says that we give 30 days from the moment that the blemish happens. So that's what it means. No matter what, you will always get at least 30 days. If it's less than uh, 30 days from the end of the year one, you'll have the 30 days there. Uh, um, and if it's in the second year, you'll have, still have also the 30 days. That's version number one of Rebbe Lazar. There is another version of Rebbe Lazar, which is that a Bechor that's no mom meaning it has a blemish within the year, so you give him the 30 days, after the year, okay? Um, even within the year, you always granted a 30-day extra in the new year, and that's based on the Pesach, when is a year considered, I mean, what's the minimum amount that's considered a year, that's um, uh, 30 days. So we say it's basically a year plus 30 days according to this version of Rabbi Lazar. That, of course, does not fit with this quote that we quoted before, which makes this opinion of Rabbi Lazar a tiyoftot's disproven. Okay. Brings us to the next thing. Somebody shechs the firstborn animal and shows the blemish. 
um, afterwards. Now, of course, that's not how you should do it. You're always supposed to first show the blemish. He says that's a real blemish, and then you shach the animal. You're not supposed to do it afterwards. But that's the way he did it. So, according to Rabbi since after all there is a blemish, so therefore it's permissible. And our mayor says, no, since you shafted it without having it checked by an expert, so therefore the animal is forbidden to benefit from. Okay? It's like a, a, a kanas, a penalty. Uh, somebody who's not an expert, and he, um, and he makes believe he's an expert, and he looks at the Bukhar, and he says, yes, you got a real blemish here. Um, and it got slaughtered on his uh, say-so, so it must be buried, because it wasn't really a blemish. And he has to pay for the loss to the owner, okay, which we'll define soon. So first things first is that uh, Rabbi Barachana says that even Rabbi Yehuda would agree that a blemish in the eye, the dukin shabayin, which is like some type of cataract that's, the, that's on the animal, that's also considered a blemish. And that blemish, everybody would agree, is going to be prohibited um, even Rabbi Yehuda would say that if you find that after the death, that would not be sufficient indication that it was a blemish during its lifetime. And that's because they're used, the eyes do cloud over after death. There's a change in the, in, the, in the eye, a physical change in the eye that basically makes it uh, harder to tell. And, it, uh, and that's the idea. So therefore, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree, the whole machlokas is whether we make a gzera on mumin shebeguf um, because of the dukin shebeayin. Rabbi Meir says we do, and that's why all mumin are problematic. You can't look back at a mum uh, that I shakted the animal on the basis of and then determine, well, it was a good thing that he, I mean, he, it was correct for, for him to do that. Um, and uh, Rabbi Yehuda says we don't make such a gzera. Okay. Um, the Brisa, in fact, indicates that that is the right way to learn, that's the right understanding, because it says that when you shech the Bukhar and then show the blemish, so Rabbi Yudha says, if it's the Dukin Shabayin, it's still going to be prohibited, and that's because the eyes change. If it's in the Mumash Shabbat, then it'll be permitted because those don't change after death, and if you find the broken leg afterwards, then you know that it had that broken leg from before, and that would be good enough that even though you shech it already, you would still be, that animal would still be permissible. Rabbi Meir says, both cases is forbidden because they change. Now, what do you mean because they change? It's not the Dukin Shabayin change, yes, but not the other blemishes. The answer is, you're right. We prohibit even other blemishes because Dukin Shabayin changes, because the ones that do change, so we made across the board, you can't look at a blemish after death. The blemish must be checked out first before slaughtering the animal. Okay. Rav Nachman Yitzchak says that in fact that the Mishnah indicates that this is the understanding. Because um, we saw in the Mishnah, it says that Rameir said, uh, since it got slaughtered not with the direction of a mumcha, therefore it's forbidden, which shows that it's a penalty. It's not a ikaradin. If it was because we don't know that there is a, we, you know, we, we have a, we, it looks like there is a blemish, even though there's not. He would have said that. He's not saying that. He's saying it's because it was done shalopimumcha. In other words, we do know that it's a fine blemish and it was a blemish from before, but that's not good enough according to a mayor. Clearly, it's a kanas. Now, the question is um, a question in Matthias. Do we say, when we say uh, because it changes by the eyes, it, they change after death, 
does that mean that the, all eyes change after death, and therefore if you, um, um, and, and uh, or do we say, no, 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 they may change it, it's possible that it, the eyes will change after death, and therefore there's no way to determine with any certainty that that is, that the, that blemish in the eye was there from before. What's the difference? Which version we say? Either way, we don't have an indicator. So the Gemara says the difference would be, can we disprove witnesses? If witnesses come and say that we see the eyes now and we can tell you for a fact that that way the eyes look now is exactly how they looked from before while it was alive. Now if you tell me that's impossible because eyes always change after death, so then there's nothing to talk about and they're clearly false witnesses. If you say some change and some don't, so they're not, maybe, maybe they're not liars and maybe even Rebbe Yehuda would have said that, well, this is not the regular case of Dugan Shabayim. This is a Dugan Shabayim that we could rely on because they're telling us that it was the same as it was while it was alive and, that, and what we see now is clearly going to be a blemish. So, and as long as it was there from before, it should be fine. So that is the practical question. On that, we brought a proof from Rabbi Barchana. He said that Rabbi Yoshia told me, let me show you what the Dukan uh, example of a Dukan Shabayan where you see the change, which indicates that it doesn't always change, it only might change. So that's why uh, that, that gives us a, a, the answer to our question. Um, and that brings us to the next piece, which is, we said that, he, that if somebody pretends to be an expert when he's not, and um, uh, basically show, uh, he indicates that it's a, that it needs to be, that it may be slaughtered because this is a blemish. You're going to have to basically bury the dead animal and, you, and he'll have to pay. So is that saying like Rameyer who says um, that a blemish can't be looked at afterwards? It sounds like, uh, I mean, why don't we see if it's a blemish? And that based, on the basis of that, it should be permitted. So the person says, no, maybe we're talking about Dukun Shabayin. And basically, this guy's a fraud, and so therefore, any statement that he said from before is completely discounted. Okay. Now, in terms of the payment, we saw an interesting uh, distinction. How much does he pay? Because obviously, it makes no sense that he should have to pay for the full value of the animal, because um, he said that it had a blemish when it really didn't. And when it doesn't have a blemish, there's nothing you could do with that animal. You have to just leave it around. So what's the... What's the story over here? So the Quran explains that uh, you're right, it's going to depend. If it's a, the smaller species of animal, then he's entitled to a, the, 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 the false uh, judge who ruled, a mumcha, false expert, will have to pay a quarter of the value of the sheep or the goat. If it's the larger species of animal, it would be 50% of its value. Okay? Now, the question is. Um, uh, why would there be a different ratio? Okay. I mean, where do you get this idea of different ratio? So uh, we saw one answer is that, look, a uh, um, cow's a big animal. It's a, lar- a large loss as opposed to the, uh, the goats and the sheep. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's not that big of a... The whole thing is not worth that much. So the more says, so what? Why would that make a difference? Either one, it should be a ratio that's consistent each one according to what its value is. It's not a flat fee, it's going on what the value is. So if a regular goat is worth $100, a regular bull is worth $1,000, so it'll be commensurate, each one according to its share. Why would you switch one to a quarter of its value, the other one to a half of its value? 
That's the question. So Gemara says the difference is that uh, the care for the smaller animals is much greater, and while it doesn't have a blemish, that's cost out of your pocket as raising the animal. So therefore, that has to take it into be taken into account in terms of taking away from some of your loss, as opposed to the larger animals, the cost of its care is minimal, and therefore it doesn't take down so much of its value. That's basically the idea. You did um, a favor. What? You did the other guy a favor by not maintaining the, uh, the animal. Yeah, well, that part comes off the thing, because he saved him that okay. extra cost. Right, exactly. Not a favor, exactly. Well, <laughs> Favors like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I could do without, because the bottom line is it's a total loss now at this juncture. Because was, but uh, the point is, is that you can't say it's a full loss. Out, you would have been out more than you would have Right, exactly. Anyway, once we got into this idea, we talked about other cases where people judge incorrectly, um, and we said that uh, uh, that he pays for it. But uh, when the person is an expert, so then um, his potter he's free from any payment. And we explained yesterday the logic: why would a person who has no knowledge be more culpable than a person who is knowledgeable and makes a mistake. You'd expect the knowledgeable person to be more responsible. And the answer is, is that the person who's not knowledgeable had no business issuing a ruling and, and, and saying that he's competent when he's not. And therefore, he's guilty for any harm that he causes. Whereas a person who is really, really actually knowledgeable and he makes an error. Look, he makes an error. You know what I mean? The man, you know, we're humans, but so it's possible to make a mistake. But uh, at least he had a right to rule. You know what I'm saying? He's not like, it's not like an intentional thing to mess up somebody else. Um, whereas when you don't know what you're doing and you're doing it, you know, then, then you're more culpable. Okay? So that's the idea. Um, brings us to the Gemara which is uh, that our Mishnah seems to be going like Rameyer, who's judging on Dina de Karmi. So Rebelah says that you could make our Mishnah talking about a case where there was action done on behalf of the judge. He's not just being causative by saying what the ruling is, and then the people carried out the ruling on their own, which means that he shouldn't really be responsible for that if you don't judge on causative matters. But um, even if we don't hold like Rameir, it could be the case here is the judge actually physically took the, took the product or goods or money out of one man's hands and put it in the other man, and therefore he's the one who was active. So how, well, I understand you make somebody pay that he didn't have to pay, you took it out of his hands. But what is it when you don't make him pay? How is that uh, an act? The answer is because you gave back the collateral. What about when he's metahir the tameim or metame the tahorin? Where's the action there? So he, to prove his position, he, that nobody questions that he, would, he took a dead rat and put it on the food to say, it's tame and now it's really tame. Okay, so nobody's going to start questioning. What? Really? He's like, right, he's like leaving ro- no room for doubt at this juncture, right? But and then it turns out they were wrong. Pace. And then, it, then, he, then he's going to have to pay. But it, again, he was active. And the other way around is where he put, took the tummy thing and put it in with all the tar fruit and mixed it around that nobody will know which one it is. Again, uh, that's creating a loss directly. And that's the difference. Okay. Took us to the next Mishnah, the story. Story goes that there was a cow that had the uterus completely removed. It was, uh, and uh, Rabbi Tarfun says, that's a trefa. This is not a kosher animal can't survive without it, and therefore he said, 
Um, you're going to have to, you know, you can't eat that animal. It's going to have to be fed to the dogs, become dog food. Case came before the Chachamim in Yavne. And they said, no, that's, that's just because it's missing its uterus. It was uh, cut out on purpose. doesn't mean anything. That, what do you mean? That's the standard practice, standard procedures in Alexandria. Because in Alexandria, they wanted to maintain their monopoly on their cows and on their, goat, uh, on their pigs. So that every time they would send a female uh, pig out, out of the country or out of this, you know, Alexandria, they would cut out its uterus so that it won't be able to procreate, so that they can maintain their monopoly. So if that's, um, if that's the case, you see they live, uh, they can live for, an, uh, for a while like that. They're, it's not a trade for So Rabbi Tarfan says, I lost my donkey here because I made the guy a loss. So the Gemara says, no, no, you didn't. Rabbi Kim told him, because you're a mumchalabezin, you're an expert, you had a right to rule, and a mumchalabezin is potter from pain. So the Gemara says, there's another reason why it should be potter, and that's because it's a Talbid Var Mishnah. He made a mistake in a Mishnah, a Mishnah, in a basic Mishnah, because there's a Mishnah in the Chulim that says this. So, um, and it's, you're never responsible when you make a mistake in a Mishnah, because the whole thing should reverse. So the Gemara says, yeah, there's two facets. One is that it's a Talbot of our mission, but even if not, um, since he's a Munch Lebezin, he's no, he has an immunity from needing to pay, and that is basically where we got up to yesterday.